Yes. That was great. I'm not going to tell the 9 a.m. that you guys didn't do that. All right, I want to, I want to, uh, that they didn't do that. Um, I want to jump in, and uh, here's how we're going to do it. We're going to look at our uh, global partnerships. We're going to look at those relationships. We're going to look at our friendships. But I want to do so framing that with these words from Paul. Paul gives a final greeting to the Philippian church, a final charge. And I think it's a charge that we should pay attention to. Let me read it. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there is anything excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. Now listen to this. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Paul gives a charge to the Philippian church. I think it's a charge that we have to uphold as well, to live what we've learned. Paul is telling the church that there is always value in learning from other believers, other followers of Christ. And where we have seen Christ-likeness, we should respond with Christ-likeness. And that has informed and shaped our partnerships and our relationships in Africa. But the backstory of all these relationships is actually really important to us understanding where we should go from here. So let me spend some time in the backstory. As a church, you've heard it already today, but we have always wanted to make the most of our place in history, believing that God has placed us here now as followers of him in this time, in this place, in this culture, with these struggles and challenges and opportunities. And he's invited us to make the most of this time that he has placed us in. And so 13 years ago or so, we heard about this thing that was happening predominantly in sub-Saharan Africa, but really across the continent and across the world. It was the AIDS pandemic. But in sub-Saharan Africa, it was ripping through communities, and it, was, and it had left 14 million children parentless. That's in our time in history. And so we felt a clear call to say, we need to do something about this. We need to engage with this. We can't stand on the sideline. If God has put us here in this time, in this place, with these resources and challenges and abilities and all these things, then we should do something about it. And so we said, we want to care for vulnerable people in vulnerable communities and in particular vulnerable children there. And as we began to wrestle with this call, like how are we actually going to live this call out, we heard another church leader say something that has really shaped us for the last 13 years. This church leader said of the AIDS pandemic, if the church in America dedicated itself to ending the AIDS pandemic and caring for those impacted, we could change the world in 20 years. And I'm going to be honest. We had no idea if that was true. We had no clue. But it sounded like exactly what we needed to try. And so we, we started to, to, to learn, because the reality is we didn't know anything. That was the way we started. We knew that this was the humanitarian crisis of our time, that it was ripping through communities and impacting millions of people's lives, but we didn't know anything else. And so we started to pray, and we got educated, and we started to talk to people who, who had experience, people that lived and worked and cared for people in that region. And we tried to find out how we could help, how we, as Summit, uniquely wired and uniquely gifted as a, as a community of followers of Jesus, we tried to figure out how we were wired up to help these communities. And in our learning, we heard things like this, that Africa is a, is a continent where 70% of people live on $2 a day or less. 
We heard that 6,000 people a day were losing the fight with the AIDS pandemic. 6,000 people a day were dying of AIDS-related illness. We, we learned that one in three people in the region are undernourished. And we learned that fewer than 20% of girls in the region have access to education. And we learned that the issues surrounding the AIDS pandemic are multifaceted and they're interrelated. The, there was a UN report that put it this way. The immense scale of AIDS-related illness and death is weakening governance capacities for service delivery with serious consequences on food security, economic growth, and human development. What do those words mean? Those words mean that the fact that 6,000 people a day were dying from AIDS and one in three people were undernourished and only 20% of girls have access to education and meant those were all related and all had to be cared about and all had to be thought through and addressed if we were going to turn this thing back, if we were going to join God in what he's doing in setting this world right. So eventually we went. We went to Malawi as learners trying to humbly recognize that, that we didn't have all the answers and we had to, we had to learn as Jim Martin, who wrote this great book called The Just Church, uh, it's out in our resource center if you, if you want to check it out. But he said this, mobilizing resources, people, and expertise to serve others requires us to learn things we do not know, explore areas we are, that are unfamiliar to us, and encounter things we might rather ignore. But we win anyway. And what we saw when we went, people. Not stats, people. People like you and me dealing with conditions that most of us will never deal with. And I'm going to be honest, that first trip we did almost everything wrong. Uh, let me explain. We went with COTN. You heard about them briefly in that, in that quick video. COTN invited us and they said, a great size group that we can support and care for well and doesn't take us off mission to be about 20. So we sent 46 which was a bad start. And, uh, and so then we said, you know, we want to we care about this, this, this uh, AIDS pandemic and, and its effect on people. And so part of it is education and, and, and actually identifying the, ex, the extent of the illness. And so we went into a village and talked to little kids and we said, hey, we're going we're gonna to provide free testing for HIV AIDS. So go tell your parents because we'd love for them to come as well. And a rumor started that the white people had come to steal the kids' blood. So that's, that was our first trip. Uh, it was very exciting, and uh, we learned a lot, mostly things not to do, but our friends and our partners were so graceful with us. But what we saw there were, were people that had, that had lost loved ones. They'd lost brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers to AIDS. We saw people that were trying really hard, really hard to provide for their families that they love dearly in a place that that's pretty difficult to do. And we walked through the rural villages of, of Malawi and we talked and we laughed and we shared stories with people and we formed relationships. That was the good work. But then something happened about midway through that trip that has is, that is continued to shape how we think about global partnerships, how we think about engaging uh, outside of our own cultural context in, in, in Africa. We went by a well. And the well was covered up, it was boarded up, and, and we asked about it. We said, why are people going all the way to, to basically another village to get water and having to carry it miles back when there's a well right here? What happened to the well? Did it dry up? And they said, no, 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 there's water in, in the well. And we said, well, what's, what's going on with it? And they said, well, it used to be our best source of, of clean water, but unfortunately uh, a, a young woman uh, died. She fell in 
to the well, which was tragic. And so they said, we don't use it anymore. And they said, what's worse is that it wasn't actually an accident. Uh, she, she threw herself into the well on purpose. She's HIV positive and didn't believe she was worth living. It wasn't worth living. There was no hope of being cared for or uh, that, that life could have meaning or purpose or value. And, and so she threw herself into the well, even though there was a clinic where she could have gotten access to health care within walking distance. So we realized in that moment that the AIDS pandemic wasn't just claiming lives due to lack of health. It was claiming lives due to lack of hope. And neither are okay. Neither can ever be okay. So we went back to that. If the church in America would dedicate itself for 20 years, we could change the world. And we said, that's what we're going to do. And that's what the church has to offer. The church can offer hope in spades. So what we've learned in these 13 years of partnership is, is, is we've, we've seen and learned about need. We've seen what those statistics mean for people. But that's far from all that we've seen and all that we've learned. In fact, we've learned something far more important than that, I believe. In these 13 years, we have seen the power of presence, the power of showing up. We've seen the hope that can come from encouragement, seeing beyond circumstances to a God who cares in the here and now and for the hereafter. And we've seen relationships that can come from hospitality. This is what we've learned. And remember what Paul said, you should live what you've learned. If you've learned something, then then live it out. And that's what we've learned, the power of being present, the hope that comes from encouragement and relationships that come through hospitality. I'm going to unpack those. But it all starts with showing up because there is power in being present. Think about any struggle that you're going through, any unknown, any, anything that, that causes fear or anxiety in you. It's always different if there's someone beside you. If you're walking into the unknown or you're walking into something scary, it's always helpful to have someone holding your hand that's beside you that says, I'm with you. Paul says to the Philippians, whatever you have seen in me, that means he was with them. He was with them as they celebrated. He was with them as they struggled. And this was a small church trying to figure out how to follow Jesus in a place that didn't much care whether they did or not. And he was with them because he understood the power of presence. And you know why he understood the power of presence? Because our God has shown us the power of presence. Paul says just a couple chapters earlier in Philippians 2, he says of Christ Jesus, he was in the very nature of God, but he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped or or held on to for his own advantage. Instead, he made himself nothing. He took on the nature of a servant. He made himself nothing, and he actually was obedient to serve all the way to the point of death, even death on a cross. When we were in need, Paul is telling us, he's reminding us, when we were in need, God didn't stay at a distance. He came all the way to us to be with us and to be like us and to give everything for us. We are not alone. We're never alone. And Jesus gives us the quintessential reminder, I'm here for you giving us proof that we're never alone in the struggles. And, and, and a disciple, a follower of Jesus, is one who is willing to risk to follow that example, to help people know that they're never alone. See, Paul saw the power of, present, of power being present in Jesus. And having seen it in Jesus, he wanted to live what he had learned, and so that's why he showed up for the Philippians. 
He learned the ministry of presence is incredibly powerful. Just showing up matters. It's not everything, but it's an important thing. There's power in being presence in present because, because there's hope that can come from encouragement as we're present with people. In one of my trips uh, to Malawi, uh, years ago, I spent some time with the developers of the Africa Windmill Project. You saw them in the video as well. This is the brainchild of one of our summit's own, Summit family, uh, John Drake, who's an architect in town. He went on a trip to Malawi with one of our teams, and he started to think, which is what architects do when they have spare time. And so he started to think, and he thought, what could he do to connect the fertile soil? Because the soil in sub-Saharan Africa is really fertile. It grows things very, very well. But there are limited water resources, and oftentimes those resources aren't in the right place for farmers. And so how do you connect that limited water resource with this fertile soil? And so he came back to the U.S. and he started to research Pioneer America and how they did irrigation in the, pine, in the days of the pioneers. And he started building windmills out of wood in his backyard. So you saw the windmills, and that was actually his backyard. The neighbors thought he was crazy, uh, but he started to design and build these windmills because he wanted to give away to help farmers in Malawi. And I had a chance to be at the very beginning of this vision being realized in, in one field. Uh, we went out, here's a picture. Uh, we went out, and this is, uh, this is a, a, a water mill. Uh, there's no windmill attached to it yet. There's a hand crank. Uh, they use this locally available materials, scrap wood, bicycle tires, uh, bottle caps, PVC pipe, things that they could get. And they were drawing water from uh, this body of water that was 10 feet below the, the field above. And so it was actually bringing water upwards, which is uh, pretty amazing from an engineer. I was so impressed with the ingenuity and the determination and the drive to solve a really complicated problem. The man in the blue who's turning the crank, it might be a little bit hard to see. There's a picture of him. His name is, I think, appropriately Blessings. And Blessings was the foreman on the project, and he started to crank. This is the first demonstration. He starts to crank the, the bicycle tire, which is drawing the, intended to draw the water up. And for a while, guys, there was no water. And I was like, this is the worst demonstration ever. Like, good job. I don't know how to encourage you, but your water's not working. Um, and he just kept cranking, and he, just, he said, wait, just wait. Just wait. He was so confident. And eventually, uh, this is after he had stopped, so the, the water is, is not coming out as fast. But it starts just bursting out of this pipe, I mean, just gushing all over the ground. And because the soil is so hard, it was slamming against the ground. It was really loud. It almost sounded like a thunderstorm. And over that, as he's cranking, water just pouring out everywhere. He says, when you come back, there will be buildings and everyone will have a job. That reality was a long way off for people living on a couple of dollars a day with a scrap material water pump to a field. But it was a reality worth working for. And it was the start of something, and Blessings wanted to share the news. Someone being there to share the news with was a big deal. That's the power of being present, present and the hope that comes from encouragement as we show up for others. And it reminded me of something, something that I think is so important. As I was looking through those photos this week and remembering that experience, I think as a default, we should be overwhelmed with people, not underwhelmed. We shouldn't dismiss them. We shouldn't dismiss the things that they're working on, that they are excited about, that they could bring hope and joy and goodness to the world. We should be overwhelmed by them. We should be present 
and we should encourage people. We should be ready to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We should make that a high priority and not dismiss things like a scrap material water pump. And the reality is, as we think about being an encouragement and spurring people on toward love and good deeds, things are changing in Africa. The stats are moving. Lives are changing. The loss of life due to AIDS has gone from 6,000 a day to 2,600 a day. That's far too many, but that is less than half of what it was 13 years ago. New infections are down 33% in the region. The percent of women that have access to education has doubled in 13 years. Oh, and by the way, since that water came pouring out of that hand-cranked water pump, there are now 3,000 farmers a year that are being trained by the Africa Windmill Project to provide food stability for their communities. Remember Paul's words? Remember Philippians 4, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there is anything excellent or anything praiseworthy, think on these things. Why? Why do we think about these things? Because these things bring hope because they're a reminder that all is not lost in the world. And there's a promise that comes with this command. Paul gives the command, think on these things. That's a declarative statement. Do it. This is what you're supposed to do. This is my final command to you. But he gives a promise, this beautiful promise at the end. Think on these things. And the God of peace will be with you. The net sum of blessing circumstances, that's not what gave him peace. He was a long way from his vision being realized. And a little water from a pump onto a field, that didn't bring him peace either. Belief in a God who was with him and for him as he worked to bring good to others, that's what brought him peace. And there's a hope in a God who was with him and for him in his work. And there was a hope that came from people following that God, showing up and being with him and for him in his work. And hope, if it's rightly placed, can actually change things. There's a power in being present. There's a hope that comes from encouragement, and there are relationships that can come from hospitality. Hospitality is uh, at the heart of biblical ethics. Living biblical lives, hospitality is right in the center of that. Hospitality in the ancient world, it focused primarily on welcoming in foreigners and outsiders and strangers as though they're family, this radical invitation into family. It was, it was part of the call of the Israelites, God's chosen people. He said, he wrote, it, he wrote it into their law. He said, don't forget to do that. Welcome in the foreigners and the strangers and the outsiders. Welcome them in because if you do, it will be so attractive to the world. They will look at you and go, I have to be a part of what that God is up to. Problem was that command went left uh, unfulfilled. And so the prophets talk about how uh, God's people weren't living up to the promise and then comes Jesus, who comes to fulfill that promise perfectly and show us incredible hospitality by who he invites in, who he brings along. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, but the hospitable act of a communal meal meant so much. It had so much symbolic significance in the ancient world and particularly to the early church. Who you invited to your table, that was your family. You took on their status. You became one of them. And so whoever you invited, that's who you were. And in many cultures today, that's still the case. It has so much importance. Who you invite in is family. 
And I learned that on my first trip to Malawi. I saw it in action, and I've seen it in every experience I've had in Africa since, to be honest. Hospitality. Let me show you a picture of my first trip to Malawi. Uh, this is me uh, cooking, and let me give you some, some kind of framework for what's happening here. As part of my first trip with COTN, we spent time with a family and spent time getting to know them and, and sharing a meal with them because a meal is so important. And I was invited into the process. I didn't just show up and have food. They didn't just like, hey, sit down and we're going to serve you food. I became part of the process. I became part of preparing the food, which was actually a great honor. And uh, because the food was different and the techniques were different and the tools were different, I became a public spectacle. That's why there's so many people standing around watching me uh, try to figure out how to cook. Well, it took me a long time to figure out how to make fire, uh, which was embarrassing, and then uh, even longer to figure out how to cook. My favorite part of this picture, if you look in the upper left-hand corner, the young lady there who's like backing away, I think she thought I was going to blow something up or something, but she was very skeptical of my cooking ability. Um, after, After we prepared the food, we sat outside this tiny home on grass mats out front for two reasons. One, we could never fit on the inside, and two, they were happy to invite me in and wanted anybody who was passing by to be included as well. And we ate on the ground on these grass mats, and I didn't know the language, and so we couldn't really talk, so I pulled out pictures of my family, my wife, and my kids. And we laughed because laughter is a universal language. And you know what stuck with me? No one told me to leave because I didn't speak the language. No one told me to leave because I didn't know the cultural practices. No one told me to leave because I didn't look the right way. No one told me to leave because I didn't know how to eat sema and greens, right? It's incredible to see the way that people opened their homes and their lives and gave, not out of their abundance, but out of what little they had to live from. It felt like I was living right in the center of uh, that, that time that Jesus is, is worshiping. He's, he's at worship and people are giving their offering and he sees uh, people come and uh, rich people come and they give their gifts and then he sees a poor widow and she puts in two mites, like less than a penny. And he stands up and says, in the middle of this public assembly, he says, Truly I tell you that this poor woman has put in more than all, for all these out of their abundance have put in an offering for God. But she, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood she had. I felt like I was living right in the middle of that. N.T. Wright once said, if you want to look into the face of Jesus, look into the face of the needy. When I shared that meal, I believe I was looking into a beautiful picture of Jesus, one who is willing to give everything to invite me in. One who is willing to completely inconvenience self to include others. One who is willing to sacrifice comfort to provide a place of comfort for me. Out of that type of shared experience, out of that kind of hospitality, relationships can't help but form. So we've learned. In these 13 years, we have learned so much. And we have so much more to learn, but we've learned how do we now live what we've learned? That's what Paul encourages us to do. He says, you're going to learn from other believers, but live what you've learned. So how do we do it? Well, one way is by serving others well here. 
Part of how we honor what we've learned globally is by living what we've learned here locally. That's why we're launching this local service initiative that we've been talking about over the last couple weeks to be engaged in our local schools and through the foster care system. That's why a couple dozen of us went out to East River High School to the baseball field and helped the baseball team get ready uh, for, for, for their season. That's why we did that yesterday. And let me just say, you wouldn't believe the faces of the parents and the kids when we showed up. You would not believe it. They were blown away that anybody would show up for them. There is power in being present. Showing up matters. So what we've learned globally is informing how we serve locally, but there are other things as well. There are other ways that we can engage. And let me say up front, this engaging in Africa and being part of our partnerships, because this was never meant to be some of our responsibility. It was meant to be all of our opportunity. This engaging, it will cost us, each of us, something. It will take us moving from, from being people or individuals or even a church that says, I'm really glad my church is about that, to saying, I'm so thankful I get to be part of that. And not because it'll make things easier, it won't. And not because we'll see instant returns, we might not. I'm asking you to give yourself to live what we have learned because we've seen the power of being present. We've seen encouragement and hospitality. We've seen those are better. And ultimately, they're a more peaceful way. So we're going to continue to partner. We're going to continue to be learners by practicing what we have learned and received and heard and seen, as Paul says in Philippians, from our friends. So I want to invite you into some steps. Some of the steps we're going to take right now, because again, this isn't for some people. We can all engage in these partnerships. We can all engage in these, uh, these friendships in significant ways. So let's, let's start now. You got a card when you came in. If you'll open that up, you'll see on two sides. On the left side, there's a lot of words and some information. We'll get to there in a second. But on the right-hand side, it should say dear, and then it's going to have an organization's name, and then staff. We've seen the hope that comes from encouragement. And our friends are giving their lives to care for some of the most vulnerable people and vulnerable communities in this entire world. What do you think it would feel like to get a thousand cards in the mail from people that say, we're with you. God's going to be your strength. God's going to guide you through this. We're so thankful that we get to be friends. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a couple of minutes. You got a pen when you came in. Uh, Let me give some more logistics. There are three different organizations. So the card you have and the card of the person sitting next to you might be different. We want to send cards to to, uh, three of our our partners in this way. On the bottom left-hand side of your card, there's some information about that organization. You can also just look it up on your phone as well if you want some more information. But this is the work that they are doing. Each of them caring for vulnerable children and vulnerable communities through different strategies. We're going to take a couple minutes and we're just going to write a letter of encouragement. And we're going to send these out through the summer as teams go. We're going to send them with them and hope to be encouragement to the staff on the ground in these countries. At the end of the service, you'll be able to drop all this stuff off in the back, so don't worry about that. Just take a couple minutes and write. We'll put a little music on, some, some letter writing music, and, uh, and uh, not the Jimmy Fallon one, not the thank you note one, but the, it would be different. Um, but there'll be some music on. We'll take a couple minutes and, and do that, and then I'll be back up and walk through the rest of our time. If you're still writing, you can feel absolutely free to continue to do that. Maybe pull mental double duty. I'm going to continue to talk about some of the next steps, next right steps that we may take together and you may take as an individual. Again, if you want to keep writing, feel feel free to, to continue to do that. Some other steps toward living what we've learned that I'd like you to consider 
taking as well are on the left side of your card up toward the top. I'm gonna walk through those three little boxes because so much can be said and, and communicated by putting a check on those boxes. First, sponsorship. Many of the organizations that we work with uh, provide sponsorship for children. It's a way where they can provide the, the food and the clothing and the education and the health care and the love of Jesus that each of these children need to continue to, to grow and thrive. And so if you're interested in that at all, Abby and I have, have been sponsors of children for, for years and years, and, and uh, Chisomo is our, our, our guy in, in Malawi that, uh, that I'm hoping to get to see here in a couple of weeks. And, uh, and you get letters in return, and you get to send letters, and again, that's that hope, of, hope that comes from encouragement, just back and forth and back and forth. And, so, and then there's uh, usually a financial, monthly financial contribution that's part of that care as well. If you're at all interested in that, there are kids that, that we're involved with that need sponsorship, and so if you're at all interested in that, check the box. It doesn't sign you up for anything. We'll just follow up with you and give you some more information about sponsorship. The next one down, joining a team. A next right step for you very well could be joining a team to go be present as a learner and an encourager. And here's what that'll mean, joining a team. Joining a team means getting on a plane and flying halfway around the world to go sit with people, to learn from people, to encourage those that are giving their lives to love the needy. It'll mean joining one of our global partners who has asked us to come. We try to right-size the groups now. It will mean using your vacation time, or if you're a student, your summer, summer vacation, your time off from summer break, from school. It'll mean asking really everyone you know to support you financially and taking the trip. It will mean you being open to the idea, and this is a big one. It will mean you being open to the idea that maybe God wants you to care deeply about someone or something that you didn't previously. But going and being present is really important. If John Drake hadn't gone, if he hadn't gotten on a plane, if he hadn't done all of those things and joined a team, there'd be no windmills, there'd be no agricultural training, there'd be no food stability for thousands of people. You just got to go see it and be open to the idea that God might use you to be an encourager. And it might be an important step of helping someone believe that they can dare to continue to hope. So the first step is not uh, saying I'm going. It's not committing to go. The first step is not heading to the airport and getting on a plane. None of those are the first step. The first step is checking that box, saying I'm at least open to the idea. And here's what I would say. If as I've been talking, you said, you know what, maybe, maybe I should think about it. Maybe I should go. Maybe I should join up in what, what God's doing. If you thought that at all, maybe I should, you should, because it's not a normal thought. Normal people don't think, you know what, I should get, get on a plane, fly halfway around the world to sit with people that I don't speak their language and, uh, and, and make myself completely uncomfortable and ask all my friends for money. Uh, no, no one does that. And so if you felt that, that tug at all to, to be a part, check the box. And we're going to pray about it with you, and we're going to give you information along the way to make an informed decision, a prayerfully informed decision. A step that we'll be taking next week, there'll be an interest meeting after the service uh, just to to talk about what teams there are and what the dates are and, and, and allow you to ask any questions you might have. But check the box so we can continue to follow up with you. And then there's another step there. It says hosting. 
I'd like to invite you to consider that, to be part of forming relationships through hospitality. We have learned biblical hospitality from our friends and our partners in Africa. They've opened their homes and their lives and their churches and their tables to us. And it may be that our perception is the best way to engage globally. The gold standard for participation is to get on a plane and go. And we do need to do that because, again, our partners ask us to do that. But the, but the gold standard of, of honoring our partnerships may very well be in how we invite people into our homes, how we receive people as we have been received. There's so much value in receiving. That might be the ultimate mark. How we can invite people and how we can show the hospitality that we have experienced. And increasingly, there's a need for this to happen. Increasingly, our partners who are raising children to transform the nations, those children are going to secondary school and then going on to college. And increasingly, there are opportunities here in the U.S. for them to study. Through Valencia College, there's a program at Valencia College, there's a program at UCF that helps that happen. Increasingly, uh, Nairobi Chapel, our partner who's doing incredible church planning work around the world, increasingly there are opportunities for us to receive and host their staff, their church planners that are going to go and plant other churches to get uh, cross-cultural training and information and, and, and experience. Right now, we have three opportunities for hosting. If you're wondering if this is actually a real thing, there are three people that would like to come here from Africa, from our partnerships, and be here in the Orlando area. Three real opportunities. We want to show the hospitality that we have been shown. And really things, really powerful things can happen if we do that. i tell you a story of... of something that just recently did happen. Recently, one of those students from Africa needed a place to stay here. Uh, his name was Martin. Some of you actually might know Martin. The end of this story is he actually came. He needed a place to stay. And I asked Matt and Kristen Moore, uh, who are here, and if you have kids in base camp, you probably know them because they're, they're awesome, if they would host. And I did this because, one, they're, they're great people, but, but also because Martin was coming here to UCF to learn how to implement a solar power a system for COTN so that they could keep consistent power for their school because the grid in Malawi is somewhat unpredictable, increasingly unpredictable. And so it was an engineering project, and Matt is an engineer, and I thought they would, they would uh, hit it off and there'd be a connection there. And so I asked them if they'd be interested. And we walked through a lot of different fears and a lot of different questions that came up when they were considering the opportunity, really good questions about uh, having someone in your home and how does that work how does transportation work? Getting, getting someone from place to place, is that a responsibility of the host family? Can we, can we travel? Can we go on vacation over the two months that, that they'll be here? How do you deal with culture barriers? I mean, really, really good questions. And the Moors and I, we talked about it, and we prayed about it, and we thought about it, and they sought really wise counsel. And let me read, ultimately, what they decided. This is, Kristen wrote this, and I just thought it was really powerful. Ultimately, we agreed that we wanted to move forward in obedience to God's calling. To quote Summit, we would decided to use our finite resources to help build God's infinite kingdom. We had no idea what to expect, but we knew we weren't committing to this alone. As our friends and families found out about the opportunity, they rallied around us and they offered to help welcome Martin in as any way that they could. A member of our Connect group put it this way, your yes is not just a yes for you, it's a yes for our community. Our first few days with Martin were full of questions back and forth between the three of us. We started with the basics. Do you like coffee? Yes. Great. So do we. 
What kind of music do you like? Oh, you're in a band in Malawi. We should introduce you to some folks at Summit. It didn't take long to realize that despite living in completely different countries and cultures, we had plenty of things in common. As we continued getting to know each other, Martin offered to share his story with us. We sat around the table, and as Martin was about to share, he remembered he left something in his room. So he got up from the table, and he returned to the table with a wrinkled photograph. It was a picture of a little boy wearing a ragged shirt, standing in the middle of a dirt road. Martin began to tell us the story of that little boy. His father died when he was three, and per customs at the time in Malawi, the house was pillaged, which left Martin, his mother, and six siblings with nothing but the clothes on their back. The family lived in extreme poverty for several years with minimal help from local hospitals and distant relatives. This is where COTN came into the equation. They offered to, to invite him into the program, providing some food and shelter and some education for he and some support for the family. Eventually, he became a follower of Jesus and started to talk about Jesus to his family. And years later, his entire family became followers of Jesus because of Martin, and he excelled in school. And so eventually, he had this opportunity to go to UCF to study this solar project and take it back to Malawi. Kristen continues to write, Martin finished his story with a big smile and said, My friends didn't believe this opportunity was really happening until I sent them pictures of me here in the U.S. It's all God's grace, he said. After Martin shared his story with us, Kristen writes, we shared ours with him, and there was no turning back. He was fully part of our family. We lived life side by side for the next two months, working together, sharing meals together, laughing together, and worshiping together. Martin jumped right into every activity with enthusiasm and gratitude. We learned so much from our short time with Martin. But the lesson that stands out most is that kindness has a ripple effect. Martin repeatedly said, it's not about helping just me. I want to take everything I've learned back to my community and my country. When you help me, you help all of Malawi. Hosting is a sacrifice. But the reward, the impact can be so great. Let me use the same strategy I did just a moment ago. If at any point during that you thought, maybe I should be open to it. Maybe I could show hospitality in in that way. I'm not sure. Maybe I should think about it. You should. You should check that box and we'll follow up with you. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to know your schedule. You don't have to know the bus routes through Orlando. You you don't have to know any of that right now. Just show willingness and we'll pray about it and we'll think about it and we will talk through it together. 13 years ago, we went to Africa and we went to solve problems. And we met people. And we learned from partnerships. And part of how we honor those partnerships and those friendships is living what we've learned with as much humility and as much courage as we possibly can. We should be a community that lives what we have learned from our God and from our friends in Africa, the power of being present, the hope that comes from encouragement, the relationships that can come through hospitality. We, starting today, continuing today, have the opportunity to put into practice what we've learned and received and heard and seen. My hope is that we don't miss that opportunity. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the truth of your word. 
that as we put into practice what we have learned, as we live what we have learned, peace is a natural byproduct. It's a more peaceful way. It doesn't mean it's an easier way. It just means it's a more peaceful way. It's a better way. And I pray as we consider these opportunities and we think about what we risk or what we potentially lose by saying yes to these things, I pray that we would remember your kingdom. They would remember the hope that you brought into this world that ultimately one day you would set all things to right, that every dividing wall would be torn down and that we as a people would learn from each other and grow from each other and move your good creation forward together. I pray that we keep that in mind as we consider these opportunities and we don't miss a chance to live what we've learned so beautifully from our friends. I pray that we would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and we would trust that you would fill in any gaps in between. We pray this in the powerful and redemptive name of Jesus. Amen.